This is Democracy on the Move. Democracy on the Move is a podcast tribute to the people and organizations who dare to reimagine our nation and drive it toward its true principles of democracy. This episode is being released on Sunday, June 5, 2022. I'm Dan Schaefer, your host for today's podcast, and thank you for joining us. In today's podcast, we talk with Tara Honora, candidate for Missouri State Senate District 16. But first, let me ask you a few questions. Should corporations have the same rights as people? Should they be able to put their massive dollars into political campaigns to support a candidate or issue? Well, the Supreme Court apparently thinks so, even though citizens whom they're supposed to serve don't. Greg Coleridge, the national co-director of Move to Amend, invites you to join the organization and help pass a constitutional amendment to end corporate rule and the corrupting influence of big money in elections. You can join Move to Amend and help create a movement toward a true democracy that serves all the people. You can find Move to Amend online at movetoamend.org. So we're talking with Tara Honora, a candidate for Missouri State Senate District 16, She is a fifth-generation lifelong Missourian who was raised by a family of farmers, educators, pastors, and military service members. She currently lives on the Ozark Plateau in Phelps County, Missouri, which is kind of south-central Missouri. She is an Ozark mystic, priestess, and member of the Sanctuary of Bridget, an organization that focuses on community education and service. She is an educator, published poet and author, and member of the LGBTQ plus community, She is also an activist involved with the direct action to build awareness about climate change, universal health care, the rights of religious minorities, racial justice, the anti-war movement, and most recently organized a pro-choice rally in Rolla, Missouri. Tara is a committee member of the Phelps County Democratic Committee. She was a team leader for the 2020 Bernie Sanders campaign and a Bernie delegate to the Missouri State Democratic Convention. Tara is running for the state Senate to give residents a larger platform for their voice, which has been ignored for decades by the majority leadership of Missouri. As someone who has lived in the Ozarks most of her life, she knows residents are resilient. They know how to survive, and they deserve to have access to everything they need to not just survive, but to thrive. So, Tara, thank you for joining us at Democracy on the Move, and welcome to the program. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me here so I can address the concerns of rural Missourians. Okay, good. Well, first of all, let's start off with why you? I mean, what what are the issues in Missouri that are most important to you that would compel you to step into what I would call the massive food fight taking place in the state capitol? Okay, I will answer that two-part question. Um, I have thought about running Uh, for a couple of years. However, I have a chronic illness um, called Turner syndrome mosaic. It's a genetic disorder that only women are born with, um, about one in 2,500 women. Mm -hmm. Um, It's rare that that, uh, pregnancies of uh, of an embryo or fetus or child that has Turner syndrome actually come to full term. Mm. Mm. So as a person with a chronic illness, I understand how hard it is to be disabled and try to survive in Missouri. So I wanted, I wanted to see things change in our state. Mm -hmm. And it took me a long time to decide to run because um, you know, this illness can be very fatiguing and campaigning is a lot of work. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, um, but when no one got on the ballot to oppose our current senator, the incumbent Justin Brown, mm-hmm. I decided along with several other women in the area that we were going to run just so we could have Democrat progressives you know, really socially minded people on the ballot. So rural residents would have a choice. 
Okay. And our goal in running is to get other people active in their community, community, to get other people active in the Democratic Party. So we can have a grassroots stable effort mm-hmm. getting people on the ballot for years to come. That's our ultimate goal. Okay. And and I you worked with Randy McCallion. I know we had her on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. And she is running for the uh, 8th District, 8th U.S. Congressional District here in Missouri. So is she one of the the group that you uh, got together with and decided to run? Yes. So um, Randy and I actually traveled um, to Jefferson City together to file. Um, That was just within like a week of the deadline. Mm -hmm. Um, We got to see the Secretary of State's office and file, and then we toured the Capitol together. And we really liked the way our footsteps sounded Mm -hmm. in the Capitol, having average citizens running for office. Now, if she wins, she'll be going to, you know, Washington. Right. But we were just so moved seeing the exhibits there about how women won the vote. And um, mm-hmm. we were excited to be in a position where we could be, we could follow in the steps of our ancestresses and be on the ballot. Mm-hmm. I felt proud to be um, part of that suffragette heritage, I guess. Okay. Well. Yeah. That's pretty good, and and um, and of course you were with a friend that uh, you both decided to to uh, take a jump at the same time, so that uh, there's there's um, um, a certain degree of comfort in knowing that someone is in there with you as well. Exactly, and since then uh, we've built a coalition with um, Lisa McCarthy, who's running for the new uh, Missouri House District One Twenty Two, and Bernadette Holzer who is running um, out of Houston, Missouri, and Texas County. Uh, I don't remember the name of her district right now, but I lived in Texas County for 10 years. So mm-hmm. I'm so glad to know that um, there's another woman running down there. Okay. Yeah, you know, it, it, just a personal observation, I've done a number of podcasts right now, and whenever I talk to politicians, um, just an informal like recollection in my head. It's probably more women that I talk to than men these days in terms of people running for office or people who are in office already. It's uh, it's a pretty good development, I think. I think so, and honestly, the women I've talked to who are running are doing so because we're fed up. We're tired of waiting for the current lawmakers to take the initiative to protect our children mm-hmm. from gun violence to get them fed um to get them the health care they need uh, we're tired of seeing people suffer yeah and so we've we're not doing this for the fame mm-hmm. we're not doing this for the the prestige or to have like a plaque on our desk we're we're doing this because we care yeah. we care about people's lives and how they're suffering in missouri right now yeah. We brought up a couple things there. You brought up uh, guns and healthcare. So let's um let's start mm-hmm. off with healthcare because um I think that's a pretty important topic to you. It's certainly an important topic for me. Uh, I have some personal reasons for that as well. And mm-hmm. um so you know the reality is for people who are in rural areas and your your area is what I would call a rural area. Um, you yeah. cover uh, probably about six or seven counties. I don't know after it got redistricted. I'm not sure what the count is. Um, but people in the rural areas don't have adequate access. And what I mean by adequate access to healthcare is that generally, but not always, but generally, they don't have a staff of doctors nearby. And it's difficult to get medical attention when rural hospitals and clinics are closing their doors, as they have been in Missouri for the last several years. And also couple that with the fact that the average income in some of the areas uh, that, that you represent are, are at or below the federal poverty line, which um, so most people really don't have medical insurance. So they're really uh, kind of screwed in a sense if they don't have any sort of if they don't get any medical attention. And you know, when it comes to medical attention, as you know, and so do I, that a little bit of attention 
at the right time can avoid huge medical situations down the road. So what uh, what can you as a state senator do to address the lack of health care and, and health care insurance here in Missouri? That is a very good question. Um, now, recently, there was a small victory um, in the Missouri State Legislature, thanks to the continued effort of the Democrats, especially the um, people like Crystal Quaid and that uh coalition. Mm-hmm. However, the funding of Medicaid expansion is not a permanent thing right now. It, it has to be re-voted on every year. So there is a chance that the GOP, the conservative senators and representatives will again try to stonewall funding. Mm-hmm. Um, and your apps so we we need permanent funding for Medicaid expansion. Mm-hmm. I would even advocate for universal health care because I believe that if you are alive, you deserve food, clean air and water, shelter, education, and health care. Mm-hmm. Um, because there are people with disabilities who can't perform to the standard that corporate America would like them to. Right. You know, um, just because someone isn't contributing taxes doesn't mean contributing to the tax coffers doesn't mean they're not a valued human being. Right. I think there are many ways people in our society can earn their keep. And you're right. So since we have not been funding Medicaid expansion, Many rural clinics and hospitals have closed. Um, There are places in my district uh, where women have to travel two hours or more to deliver, where people would have to travel two hours or more for emergency services. Mm -hmm. Um, I know here in Rolla, we continuously have a turnover of specialists, um, neurologists, um, other experts such as endocrinologists and then that means people have to travel an hour or more to go to Springfield or St. Louis or Jefferson City. And you know because of the poverty rate here in our state that puts an extra burden on people for gas. Um, They may have to stay overnight um, depending on what kind of lab work they're doing and if how chronically fatigued they become. One thing that really bothered me, uh, maybe it was Bob Onder who crit- criticized um, an expansion of the SNAP uh, uh, program. Mm-hmm. So SNAP, that's where people can get food stamps. And often you have to use it for cold food items or such as like cold deli items, uh items at the grocery store there's a few farmers markets participating now in snap which i love because the healthy food is what keeps people healthy and if you can't afford your fruits and vegetables you're only eating canned food with all that salt how are you supposed to maintain your cholesterol and diabetes right right so this snap program there was a bill saying there could be a provision that in certain restaurants the elderly uh, veterans, uh, disabled people could get a hot meal. And you know, when you travel two hours to the doctor, you've been poked and prodded all day, you're tired. Why can't people have that comfort? Yeah. Right. And all the conservatives in our state, just they threw a fit seeing that people who weren't working didn't deserve a hot meal. And, and really, how cruel can that be Yeah. to deny people hot meal who are veterans, are elderly, and are disabled? So I'm glad that the Democrats and the Missouri legislatures stood their ground. People called in, um, you know, citizens called in, and we, we got that bit of comfort for people who are already suffering um, here in, in Missouri. Yeah. Yeah, you mentioned Bob Onder. He's um, 
He's uh, a senator in Missouri, uh, Missouri State Senator uh, in the St. Charles County area. I forgot exactly what uh, Senate district he's in. And he's part yeah, of... Yeah, he is in St. Charles. Oh, go, what was that? Yeah, he is in St. Charles. Um, yeah. I forgot his district, too. Yeah. And he's uh, he's been part of this, what they call the uh, conservative coalition, which has gummed up the works in the Missouri State Legislature for a very long time. And it really is, it comes down to about four or five people in this in this coalition. And so I would add that they're uh, one of the issues in the Missouri State Legislature this year, which I thought was very interesting, was that there were many issues that a lot of Republicans actually voted with Democrats on. I believe the SNAP program was one of them. Uh, not a lot of Republicans, but some kind of broke ranks with the uh, with the so-called conservative coalition. But uh, it was it was uh, it this coalition tied up the gum, like I say, gummed up the works that took them almost to the very last minute to decide what the district boundaries were going to be for uh, congressional districts. And so you know, it's it really is just a handful of what I would call troublemakers. <laughs> Uh, for lack of a better term, that, that could really tie up the whole Senate in this case. Well, thank you for the clarification. You know, upon reflecting reflecting on on everything that's gone on in the Missouri legislature this year, you're right. It is a small group of very um, outspoken representatives and senators, especially in the Senate of this conservative coalition who... I'm not entirely sure what their motivation is. It could be just to get votes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I well, I think so because they all have their eyes on other offices at this point. So that's that's been pretty obvious to me, anyways. That that's what they're doing. They have to sort of prove themselves to their base. But the uh, problem is that a lot of people suffer because of that, and it doesn't exactly. seem to touch them at all. Yeah. It, I, and one thing I would do. Um, with one thing I want to do, one thing I know Randy, Tracy, Bernadette, and a lot of other Democrat women want to do is when we get into um, the legislature, we're not here to play games. We're here to to get done what the people want to do. I'll be willing to talk with anybody from any party, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna back down on anything that protects Missourians' civil and human rights. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that a little bit, because um, that was one of the topics I wanted to discuss with you initially. And now that you bring it up, let's talk about it. Uh, your, your, your website lists diversity and equity, where you say, mm -hmm. and I quote on your website, you say, diverse culture, ethnicity, religion, re relationships, and abilities makes America stronger. Equity is freedom from bias or favoritism. And so I, I know this is a difficult and emotionally charged subject, but how does this play out in the Ozarks? Because, you know, the, the concept of diversity and equity touches a, a lot of, seems to touch anyways, a lot of raw nerves throughout the Midwest, especially in the rural areas, because, and I'm just guessing here, it's because people mm -hmm. feel it's being forced upon them. Um, am I wrong about this? Or, or uh, I'd like to hear what your comments are about this. No, you're absolutely correct. Um, part of the Ozarks is a deep um, heritage and culture of um, going to tent revivals and going to church. Mm -hmm. And there are people who um, accept that the Bible is literal. Um, they're a very close-knit church family. They Sometimes they'll vote um, the way the pastors um, influence them. Um, you know, there's a lot of um, religion and Christian culture in the Ozarks is mm -hmm. considered heritage. And I think everyone is allowed to have their heritage and their religion. Mm -hmm. That's what's wonderful about our, our uh, country. Yeah. However, we also have separation of church and state. So it it is not right for laws to be passed that try to make our state and our nation a theocracy. Mm -hmm. um, there are people of other religions who differ on when life starts. So I consider abortion 
uh, legislation to also be an infringement on people's religious views. For instance, Jewish people believe that life starts at the first first breath. Yeah. People who are Wiccan and believe and are in the goddess community, they decide when they feel a soul coming um, to their body once they become pregnant. It's their discretion to commune with that that soul or not. If if they don't, if they are more of a, a person who honors nature rather than a, a spiritual um, sense. And we actually have, um, in the goddess movement and in Wicca, we have ceremonies to help women when they're going, and, and people who can't get pregnant. Let's acknowledge people who have uteruses, who are non-binary or trans. Mm-hmm. Um, their healthcare and spirituality is just as important. So in the goddess community and Wicca, we actually have ceremonies to to hold space for these people who are going to have an abortion or who have had one and to do ceremonies for people who have had miscarriages and to honor the changes in the life lost. So it's not that, I don't think the moral majority in, in Missouri can say they're the only moral people. I'm not even sure if they can say they're moral at all, um, considering how minorities are being treated as second-class citizens LGBTQ plus people like myself um, in Missouri can be fired for being part of that community. They can be, they can lose housing. Um, and Missouri has often lost federal dollars because of discriminatory laws in our state. Well, it, to, to dive into the subject a little bit more here, um, is racism and race, and I mean racism, you know, for or any for any basis, you know, people that are different than us, right? Is racism really systemic in this country? Do you think? And if so, what does it what does that look like in in the sixteenth uh, Senate district there? Sure, absolutely. So, one example is how many Confederate flags we will see flying in people's yards. Um, I know up at least like of the Ozarks area, there is a huge Confederate flag that flies. Um, here in Rolla, we have the Route 66 Summerfest. Mm-hmm. Um, cars on display will have Confederate flag plates. Uh, they'll have Confederate flag memorabilia at their booths. Now, so that's that's the front of it. Right. Okay. Um, that's the supposed Southern pride, right? But right. it's really not fooling anyone. So in the summer of 2020, um, I was part of a progressive group here in Rolla. Um, a acquaintance and I went to St. Louis and we were part of the Black Lives Matter march there. And uh, uh, they and I carried a trans rights flag that said uh, Black Lives Matter on it because um, yeah, let me catch my thoughts, sorry. (laughs) So I got really inspired at that march, kneeling at intersections. We both did. Mm -hmm. And and saying the names of people who had lost their lives to police brutality. So here in Rala, we uh, gathered people and organized the Justice for George Floyd March. Mm-hmm. It, it was amazing. We had 300 people show up um, of every ethnicity, every class and background. Um, Black families bought, brought their children. It was beautiful solidarity. Okay. Um, I was at the band shell waiting for the group to march and then and come to where we would have our rally. Well, we had a front car and a back car, pace cars with like food and water and to guide people on the route. Mm-hmm. Well, as I'm waiting for the marchers um, to come to the band shell area, which is across Morales City Hall, by the way, mm-hmm. um, a group of armed men and women showed up in the parking lot across from us 
They had uh, large Trump flags. Um, many were carrying uh, large rifles, which I did not see too up close until a moment. I'll get to that. Mm -hmm. Well, so as these families, children, and the pace card came around the corner, um, a gentleman who is very involved with the local Republicans and their committee, um, I believe, came out with his rifle strapped around his um, his shoulder. He had a full face uh, mask on. Well, no, he had a, one of those gator masks yeah. and the pace car had to stop. You know, she wasn't going to run him over. And let me tell you, the fear that went through me, mm -hmm. and that has to be about racism. I right. mean, they said in social media leading up to that week, week that we were busting in people from Antifa to destroy our town. Yeah. These are average citizens. We all were barely making a living. There's no way we could afford a bus to bring in Antifa. And why? Why would we want to destroy our own town? This was about the racism that people in our area had faced. The police brutality that people in our area had faced. And these people, this opposition, showed up with weapons. And armor, and yeah. Yeah, and they were wearing armor. I I had to breathe so hard and ground myself because I was seeing little girls with their beautiful, little beautiful black children with their braids and their families. And luckily other people who were part of our patrol acted fast and they surrounded, so volunteers surrounded this man. They're the ones who got spit on so he wasn't, uh, they were trying to block his view. Mm -hmm. And they were willing to take the first bullets if he started firing into the crowd. Wow. And to me, that is the most heroic, heroic thing I have seen in my life. Wow. White people, other white people and volunteers surrounding a man to protect lives of every resident, especially those who already face so much racism in our district. And, and and the police who were in the area left. Really? When this happened. They, yes. they left? They knowing that people were coming to this area with weapons? They wow. They they were there. Mm -hmm. They were there on the grassy area and around when the armed man came started moving toward us and got in front of us, the police did not intervene. We're the ones who had to stop it. Wow. They left the area and then came back. That is intense. I, 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 I can't imagine the, the fear and the concern that you felt at that point. That is a, that is a, that's mm -hmm. a horrific story, actually. Could have I gone later really found out it, and um, so that's how I know there's systemic racism in my district. Mm -hmm. So our chief of police, Chief uh, Sean Fagan, actually worked in the St. Louis area during the first Ferguson protests. Um, he was the one uh, leading a lot of the maneuvers that would um, tell people to disperse and then they would not be allowed to disperse, which led to a lot of the rioting, mm -hmm. um, which was later called rioting. Um, and I really highly recommend people watch the Ferguson documentary. You'll hear more about um, how people were mistreated, which led to a lot of the, the pushback from citizens. Mm -hmm. um, so and Chief Fagan is also the president of the Police Chiefs Association. Wow. So, um, yeah, that gives some insight into systemic racism within Missouri. Um, he, of course, will say that that's not a problem in his office for here, right? Yeah. However, that night, we gave the megaphone to Black citizens, and for two hours, we heard testimony about he how people were um, over-policed, 
um, often stopped and searched because they're black. Mm-hmm. And the state statistics are pretty high for um, stop and searches among black residents along our stretch of 44 through our county. Um, and uh, unfortunately, and um, if there are sensitive people, you might want to uh, might want to pause. But we heard about how some black women and uh, had been raped by fraternities, mm-hmm. and their reports weren't taken seriously. Um, it's horrible. Yeah. You're talking about uh, in Rolla, because Rolla is a bit of a college town there, too. Is that uh, is that where you were talking about, or is that just Correct. all over? Okay. Yeah. Wow. Um, but, you know, that is just, those are the stories of people from the Rock, from Rolla and surrounding area. Mm-hmm. But there are, there are statistics showing that, that that racism, the systemic racism is an issue all across um, the district. I myself, uh, when I lived in uh, the Boot Hill, I was uh, where I graduated. It was still a sundown town. Um, I know my dad and neighbor, some neighbors would uh, talk about how, like, they better not catch, you know, the N word in town after dark. They'd run them out. Hmm. Um, yeah, still goes on these days, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. So I know I got into a very dramatic story, um, you know, and also um, I just in talking, talking to residents that day before and after the march, uh, you know, and I believe them. Yeah. I believe them. Yeah, there's a preponderance of stories. I mean, you know, one story would be easy to dismiss, but when you see a pattern of many stories following similar patterns, um, mm-hmm. You know, it, it's just in an empirical perspective, it, it's, it, it becomes hard to deny that there is an issue and that the issue is, uh, is uh, systemic in a way. Um, it, oh, go ahead. You were going to say something else? Sure. And so, and we, we know statistically that the Hispanic and Black communities are over-policed, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that gets... Uh, people into the prisons where they are manufacturing items and even doing call centers for large companies so that these companies can pay very little wages. It's actually modern slavery. Um, And I really highly recommend people watch uh, the documentary. I think it's called, uh, oh, what is it? Is it the 13th? Yeah, so it's a documentary called the 13th. Um, which said neither slavery, slavery nor involuntary servitude except as a punishment for crime, whereof the party shall have been duly convicted, shall exist within the United States. Hmm. So you're saying that the people who end up in prison then are, in, in a sense, uh, slave labor, in a sense, to outside exactly. corporations that want to run call centers or something that can be done from within the prison and, and pay next to nothing. To- they get next to nothing or sometimes nothing, you know, mere pennies an hour um, and large corporations benefit from that. And um, especially in the private prisons and mm-hmm. Missouri has few private prisons. Yeah. Wow. I like to, I like to backtrack a little bit because this, this image you painted in my mind about being on this, in in this in this crowd where you're you know you, you you're having your your demonstration and it's a constitutionally guaranteed uh you know way of airing your grievance you know the right to protest you're you're pra- you're practicing your constitutional rights and these people show up with guns and uh guns has just been kind of a sore spot lately right we've seen a lot of uh, mass shootings this year at at a rate yeah, this- uh oh go ahead go ahead Oh, no, sorry. I, I get really, <laughs> I get so, so passionate about this. You're right. Um, here we are now uh, after another school shooting, and we're talking about people's right to own guns. 
Mm-hmm. Is it really, though, someone's right to show up and intimidate others with their weapons when they're holding a peaceful protest? Yeah. That? I yeah, I don't think so. Is that the America we want? Well, it, it comes back, you know, people talk about the Second Amendment, but the first four words of the Second Amendment are what? A well-regulated militia. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the words uh, right to bear arms also uh, appears in the in the uh, in the Second Amendment, but under the context of a well-regulated militia. So if you have people showing up at a constitutionally guaranteed event that you can protest and they are carrying weapons, A, I would argue they're not a well-regulated militia, and B, I would argue that they are violating the spirit of the Second Amendment, which is, yes, because you have the right to bear arms doesn't mean you have the right to bring arms into every situation. Exactly. Um, I was raised in a family of uh, military personnel um, and hunters, all right? When you, you only carry a weapon if you're going to use it. Yeah. But let's let let's think about that for a moment. You know, because I'm for common sense gun laws. Mm-hmm. Um, I know there's a lot of fear in, in the Ozarks about Democrats want to come and take people's guns. Well, no, I don't. Because... Ozark people are resilient. They know how to hunt fish together with their own food. Mm-hmm. Um, but as someone from a military family, I know that military-style weapons are not for hunting deer, turkey, squirrel, okay? It, and people who go into the military become certified in these weapons use. They know how to take them apart, clean them. They get trained in accuracy. They get trained on how to carry the weapon, when to carry the weapon, how to take it seriously. Currently, people go through more of a process to learn how to drive and register a car and drive a vehicle than they do to get a gun in this state. Yeah. And people don't drive cars necessarily intending to destroy or kill somebody with it right right so why are our gun laws so lax when we know guns are there for firing at a target yeah yeah it's um i think part of the problem with people who think that that the government is coming to take their guns well one thing i would say first of all you guys have been talking about this for decades and it's never happened so it ain't ever going to happen um, but you know, another aspect of it is if you're, if you're, uh, I go back to this well-regulated militia, if you're using the gun responsibly, um, there's no reason, there's no reason to confiscate it. So, and, and nobody's really after that at this point. Right. Exactly. And, um, so another problem with gun violence is domestic gun violence, which unfortunately rose, you know, during lockdown and COVID when people uh, were unable to get, get away from each other. Um, You know, and Missouri doesn't have any red flag laws for years. uh, Survivors of domestic violence have been asking that if, um, if, a domestic violence call is put in if um, there's a restraining order, then the weapons need to be taken away for the safety of, uh, of, of everybody uh, involved, house yeah. of, of the children involved. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I don't understand the logic of, of having letting a volatile person keep their weapons saying they have more right to intimidate children and women than these these families have to to live yeah a life and to live period yeah well it's it's um there's a freedom too 
which says, okay, a freedom to do something, but there's a freedom from as well, which has to be considered as the freedom from being affected by somebody exercising their freedom to do something. So, you know, when I, when I walk to the ball game here in St. Louis or something like that, um, mm-hmm. I have a right and I have a right to exercise my freedom from getting shot. Right. And, and, exactly. so, and that outweighs, I think, someone else's right to bring a gun into a situation where it's uh, when you have a lot of people around you, it just doesn't make sense to have a gun there. So uh, it's going to it's going to be used. If you bring it into a situation like that, you're going to use it. So it's uh, and, yeah, go ahead. Right. Um, and I see how universal health care and better health care um, really ties into the issue of gun violence in our state. Mm-hmm. Um, are very little mental health resources for people. And um, as someone who does have post-traumatic stress disorder, I want to say people with mental health troubles aren't necessarily violent. Mm-hmm. Okay. However, when we don't have adequate um, drug addiction facilities and treatment when we don't have adequate therapy and mental health um, treatment for people. Mm -hmm. um, We are going to get people who have been raised up in toxic masculinity and patriarchy who want to take out their distress yeah. and their concerns on other people. Yeah. And just having the weapon, you know, it, it's, uh, there's this concept that says you, you, whatever you envision will come true. And, mm. um, I don't always believe it cause I've always envisioned myself of, you know, having a million dollars and it has yet to come true, but, uh, <laughs> not to trivialize it, but, but you know when you when you carry a, a, a firearm on you, uh, if you're going to go out and hunt, then your vision is okay. I'm going to you know make a kill. I'm going to you know stalk a deer or whatever and, and make a kill and, and you know bring home the venison or whatever. Um, if you go into a situation with nothing but people and you have an assault style weapon, uh, an assault style mean you know, a weapon that's meant to kill people. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a good chance you're not going to use it, but there is still that dangerous vision that you have in your mind that you might have to use it. And mm-hmm. uh, I remember I had this, this discussion with my dad many years ago. He wanted to carry, uh, 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 he, he's a gun owner as well. And at the time he was doing a lot of hiking on trails and such, and he wanted to carry a gun on him. And, he, and that, at that point you needed to have a concealed weapon permit in Missouri in order to carry a gun on you. And I, and I was, this was quite a few years ago. I was living in California at the time. I was talking to him long distance. And, and I says, Dad, why do you need a gun when you're walking on the trail there? He says, well, you know, I might be alone on the trail and I see other people on the trail and, you know, I don't know what they're up to. And I says, Dad, you know, is if something starts to happen and you show that weapon, you pull that gun out, uh, you've now escalated the situation into an arms race and you better be ready to shoot at that point because they might have a gun too they might have the same vision and now you've got an escalating situation which you're guaranteed somebody's going to get hurt so you know you it's all a matter of the vision if you're bringing an assault weapon uh, as you saw as you were traumatized at at, uh, at, at the um, at the protest there in Rolla when right. you know, the people showed up with a weapon They've got it in their mind that they're going to use it, and they're just looking for an excuse to use it. And all they need is the slightest excuse, right? And the reason those white supremacists showed up was to intimidate us. Mm -hmm. We wouldn't do things again. Um, But you know what? Uh, People in Rolla showed up on May 28th for a pro-choice rally. Um, I was very concerned that we'd have uh, counter-protesters again who were armed, but luckily we didn't. Yeah. <laughs> and um, uh, we had about 40 people, which is really great for rural Missouri. Um, and I just want to say there's no 
we're not going to give in to fear. Mm-hmm. We're not. There are people in Missouri and, and in Missouri Senate District 16 who are coming together. And that gives me joy and hope. Yeah. Well, you know, people are also, you're, you're one of, you know, a thousand people. You know, when you go out there, and I'm talking about you personally, you're one of a thousand people or maybe even a small, smaller ratio than that. Because everybody has thoughts about doing something. They say, well, I ought to go out there and protest. I ought to do that. But they really kind of need somebody to run out there and do it first. <laughs> and, then, mm-hmm. and then other people will join them. And that's not, you know, that's not to you know, uh, disrespect what other people are doing or anything. That's just human nature. We always yeah. like to, you know, we don't want to, I don't want to stand in a corner by myself and hold up a sign and say, you know, I am for gun regulation or something like that. But, um, you know, if, if there's a crowd of people there, yeah, yeah, then, then, you know, it's, it becomes easier to join, it becomes easier to participate and, um, it becomes much more effective that way. Exactly. So I want people who are anti-racist people who do believe in the rights of the LGBTQ plus uh, community who do believe in the rights of the disabled people that we can't wait for a political hero, right? The president, um, the perfect president, the perfect candidate isn't going to swoop down and save us. All of us, we have to be the people we're waiting for. Yes. And so yes. I want to encourage people to show up to help campaigns. If they've been thinking about running for office, if they know someone who's thinking about running for office, reach out to me, Randy, um, Lisa, Bernadette, we'll help you connect with people um, to find out what you need to do to file and run and, and tell, tell them all about the hard parts and the joyous parts too. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's good. You know, it's, it's, it's too late to get associated with a political party at this point, but it's not too late to run as an independent uh, at, at this point. I think you have until August 1st to... Uh, gather the necessary signatures and um, send them off to the Secretary of State. And we're looking into the future here. I mean, Mm -hmm. if I had had more time to start planning, I would have loved to. Brandy and I didn't sign up until March, but I mean, it's it's never too early to start planning for someone who wants to run in 2024 or 2023. Anywhere from City Hall up, up to Congress. Yeah. Good. Or local, or local board of education. Oh, good! You just hit upon a topic I wanted to cover just before we <laughs> were sort of running out of time here. But you talked about education, like ah, I want to ask you about education. Um, oh, I do talk a lot about things I'm passionate about. So thanks for sticking with me. Okay. Well, uh, there seems to be this is one issue that that sort of uh, sticks with me too. There's a there seems to be a nationwide push toward the public funding of private education. And I've gotten into arguments with people about this before. People say, well, charter schools are public schools. But I mean, you'll have to forgive me if I'm not convinced of that, because I've not seen a lot of evidence to that, to that effect. And, uh, you know, one of the rallying cries in the movement of public funding of private school is that parents are losing control of their schools. Yet, the thing that confuses me is that, you know, when you look at charter schools, they operate on charters that are negotiated by, you know, government officials who write the checks. Uh, private mm-hmm. schools, uh, they can be even worse. I mean, a really bad example here is in Missouri, uh, where we've seen allegations of sexual abuse taking place in the Agape uh, Christian Boarding School in Cedar County. Oh, yes. And uh, I'm not saying that, you know, this is, this is just an allegation at this point. So I want to be very clear about that. But the thing is, Missouri still has not properly investigated, uh, despite allegations from students over nearly three decades having experienced emotional, mental, physical, and sexual abuse at the hands of the staff, okay? And again, these are allegations. So A whole testimony has been gathered. Yeah, and so, you know, and, and I look at this and I say, are we supposed to fund private schools and charter schools with public money? So um, this is, uh, as you can tell, I'm a little bit passionate about this too. So I'd like to hear your uh, your thoughts on this issue. Um, 
Okay, so are we addressing the Agape school or charter schools? Because I've talked to... Uh... Well, I would say schools in general. The, the concept here that I'm really getting at, I think the core concept is having public money being used to right. uh, fund private and charter schools. And I was really sort of wondering where you fall on that uh, on that issue. Right. Um, I was just remembering uh, I had a hour-long conversation with one of the survivors from the Agape School. So I, mm -hmm. I really hope people will read the Springfield Leader and Kansas City Star articles about that. So um, <clears throat> charter schools, I think any time that tax money is diverted from public schools, it's hurting the children who, who can't afford to go to charter school. It's hurting um, people who can't move out of a school district, it's taking money from public education. And of course, I believe that education is one of the inherent human rights. And I've been talking a lot with teachers in my district. Mm -hmm. um, Sid McCarthy is one of them. Um, I and uh, I myself was a substitute paraprofessional for 10 years in the Licking um, and Houston school districts. So paraprofessionals are people who um, work with differently abled children, right? Mm -hmm. Charter schools do not have to guarantee accommodations for children with disabilities and Correct. special needs. Yeah. Um, so it would be doing a great disservice uh, to those children who deserve an education as much as the next person. Mm -hmm. um, also, parents who, who, who and officials who are for charter schools will often say parents are losing uh, the influence over the children's education. Right. I don't quite understand. Um, all the teachers I know have parent-teacher conferences. Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of schools actually push put online what the curriculum is right at any time a parent can meet with administration or a teacher to look at the lesson plans so i to me i'm very skeptical of that um i know uh there's been a lot of talk about how critical race theory is being taught in missouri classrooms it is not right. um that is a college level program um, so really, I don't think schools are hiding anything from parents. Well, I, I agree with that. And I've, I've, I've put a, a young man or, or my, my son is now a young man. He's 27, but he went to public school. Uh, this was when we lived in California and, um, I had that experience too. Like I could go to the school board meetings. I met with the teachers, um, every day they would post everything on the internet as to what the assignments were. So there was no question about, you know, what uh, what assignment my son had, which is much better when I was a kid. When I was a kid, we had to write it all down, right? And and but here you can just uh, oh I forgot to write it down. Just go to the internet and pick it up. So I don't I don't see that that issue. Uh, I don't see that issue coming up at all either. Uh, but but uh, you talk about CRT, and I think that it, I've I've really struggled with this for quite some time. And we actually did a couple of web uh, web um, uh, podcasts on the subject of wokeism, which mm. I think is kind of a spinoff of CRT. And I think you're right, CRT as a college level course, it was developed by Dr. Derek Bell back in 1978, I think it was at Harvard, uh, at Harvard uh, Graduate Law School. Yeah, that's not being taught. But um, the concept of wokeism is, is uh, it's, it, it's hard to say, I, I don't have the reference in front of me, but there is a, a concept that says that if you accept the fact or if you accept a fact that society is systemically racist, then some people, not all people, but some people will look at it and say, well, that makes white people guilty of being perpetrators and black people guilty of being victims. And I can kind of see that happening with some people, but my goodness, I don't see that as being such a really big issue, honestly. I, I've seen some small examples of it, and everybody's making such a big, you know, big deal out of it. But um, 
So, yeah, I, I think the, this, this whole thing with CRT, I think a lot of Democrats are sort of missing the point on this. I think that it really isn't CRT. It really is, uh, at least I think, anyways, uh, uh, people being upset about wokeism. And um, I don't know. I, I really don't know where, where that um, where schools fit into that whole thing. But um, I don't I don't personally, I don't believe it's as big of an issue as many people make it out to be. I agree. And, um, you know, I, I don't believe so we can address systemic racism here in Missouri and and in the U.S. without necessarily having it be about guilt. Mm -hmm. I guilt often is a stumbling block to actually finding solutions. Yes. Um, you can't find a solution if you don't realize the problem. Right. Yeah. And. And I know uh, a lot of women, such as Cori Bush, and um, uh, who who wouldn't necessarily necessarily say the black community are, are victims per se. Mm -hmm. They're the ones who've been at the forefront of our rights movements. Yes. Uh, they were there for women's voting. They were there for the civil rights. They were there for LGBTQ plus rights. Um, and I've learned a lot from them about how important it is to to joyfully try to make changes too, right? To really see the hope and the empowerment of building community. Um, they've taught me a lot about being a part of change for the long haul. It's so easy to lose hope and to become angry and frustrated. Yes. And that's only going to hurt further divide the community you know yeah um we all have to take care of ourselves now i also feel like our public education system especially here in missouri has been set up to fail by constantly being defunded by constantly having larger and larger classroom sizes by having old buildings um by not paying our teachers uh, teachers I, I i am a third generation teacher my my grandmother, Ethel, was a teacher, and when she retired, she was a substitute. My mom taught until she had a heart attack and was forced to retire. Mm. They get there sometimes 7 in the morning. They'll stay sometimes till 5 and then take homework home and do lesson planning and plan uh, and grade papers while they're trying to make dinner and take care of their own family. Yeah. And yet... Teachers are the ones often blamed for low testing scores. Um, and I mean, yeah. I was so, okay, how do I explain this? So I was glad when for safety, a lot of schools went to online learning. Um, I think it was an opportunity for parents to see just how much that was their opportunity to sit there and be in the classroom, right? Mm -hmm. To see just how much preparation goes into teaching. And at the time, I, I seem to remember how, just like with our healthcare staff, people were so proud of teachers. Oh, look how much they do. Look how much nurses and healthcare people do. And now I see people showing up from who may not actually be in a school district to to board education uh, board of education meetings especially in st charles screaming mm -hmm. <laughs> about yeah, yeah. how the children are being brainwashed and groomed how their children shouldn't have to wear masks yeah. this is political theater yeah yeah it's strictly political theater oh absolutely and and, and i mean the whole idea of of crt really the meaning was hijacked by christopher rufo who's a Republican operative, and he has a uh, an axe to grind, for lack of a better term. And, 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 and the main thing that they want to do is create issues that separate us mm -hmm. so that you know they can glean more votes or something like that at the expense of really ripping the country apart. And also, there is a, a curriculum and textbooks and uh, lesson planning is a multi-million dollar industry. Yes, yes. And um, so is education. Yeah. So just as we have non, just as we have for-profit prisons, 
there's a big push for for-profit schools yeah. and a lot of people are going to get left behind and it's it's education that preserves democracy because an educated critical thinking populace is much harder to control yeah yeah amen to that that's that's true i i agree with that Unfortunately, we're, we're kind of running out of time here, but I, I did have one final question for you. And uh, where can people go to learn more about your and you and your campaign for the state Senate District 16? Oh, that is a good question. Um, so there are several sources. Uh, the first one is Tara, T-A-R-A, A-N-U-R-A dot com. Um, I'm on Twitter at uh, T-A-R-A-4, the number four M-O, so that's Tara for Missouri. Facebook, Tara Honor for Mo State Senate, that's S-E-N-16. And um, I appreciate any uh, time someone wants to reach out to me and talk, they want to volunteer for the campaign, or even donate. I'm hoping to get some um, campaign literature so we can go door knock in the district, um, send out some postcards, because the larger this campaign is, the more of a voice residents have where they can say, we know how to survive, but we're ready to be happy and do more than survive. We're ready to thrive in Missouri and enjoy our rivers and, and enjoy our life here. Yeah. Well, I love Missouri. You know, it's um, for all of its uh, uh, political struggles, I would say uh, Missouri has, uh, as a state, has done a very good job of taking care of its natural resources. I mean, there's endless places to hike here. There's, it's a beautiful state. Everywhere you go, it seems like people are pretty friendly. And um, it's definitely worth fighting for. It's definitely worth, um, you know, putting the effort into it. And, and I, I wish you well in your campaign. You. Let's make it normal again for people to care about each other and to help each other instead of fighting over over who deserves what. Yeah, isn't that kind of a that's kind of you know the um, our, our society we kind of evolved from like an agrarian society to you know now now we're more like an industrial society. But mm-hmm. way back when we were an agrarian society, you know, neighbors took care of neighbors, you know, and it's still. Largely that way in in the rural areas. I have constant. I mean, I have a, I have a lot of stories about me, a city boy, <laughs> getting you know <laughs> getting in over my head in a rural area and just having somebody step up and help me out. And uh, oh, it's it, not a ditch. <laughs> yeah. I, well, that actually happened to me. I got I got into a ditch one time. I was I was lost mm-hmm. on this country road out near Lone Jack, Missouri, and. Uh, tried to turn around and I didn't realize, you know, cause there was snow everywhere. I didn't realize there was a big ditch there and dunk, I ended up in the ditch. And so I get out of my car and I, I barely get out of my car and here comes this guy in his pickup truck with a winch yeah. in the front of it. And he just pulls me out, you know, and I'm like, wow, what do I owe you, man? He says, nothing out here. We take care of each other. You know, he gets See? back in his truck and drives away. And, you he know, he didn't ask you if you were an illegal immigrant. He didn't ask you if you were employed. No, he no. didn't ask, ask you what your political party was. No, we need more of that. Yeah, yeah. It it was it it warmed my heart. Um, of course, it also, uh, yeah, it it got me out of a worry worried situation because here I am in the middle of nowhere. I could freeze to death out here, and oh, this gosh, guy just yeah, came out of nowhere. You know. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so you were gonna say something? Oh, no. Um, thank you for sharing that story. I've had my car pulled out of the mud plenty of times, too, <laughs> by a passing person in the truck with the chains of rope. Yeah, they must uh, they must be ready for, uh, well, for me, anyways, they're probably ready for city folks to come out there and, <laughs> and get in over their head real quick. And all, all the guys in the rural areas have to watch out for us. Uh, but that's OK. If they come in the city, then uh, we hopefully can watch out for them as well. But, you know, uh, that's how we make America great again. Yeah, We're exactly. Back together to help each other. Absolutely. Absolutely. That, that Pull is... each other out of the ditch. Yeah. Yeah. Metaphorically speaking and perhaps physically speaking, too. We've been talking with Tara Anara, educator, published, uh, published poet, author, and candidate for the Missouri, St- Missouri State Senate District 16. Tara, uh, thank you for joining us on the program at Democracy on the Move today. And, and good luck in your campaign. Thank you, Dan. I really enjoyed talking to you, um, even though these these issues are serious 
anytime people can come together and have a discussion is what's going to move us forward. You've been listening to Democracy on the Move, a tribute to all those people and organizations who dare to reimagine our nation and drive it back to its true principles of democracy. Please tune in each week where we will feature guests and topics that will help keep you in touch with our march toward a more perfect union. If you have any questions or suggestions, or if you'd like to sponsor future episodes, we'd love to hear from you. Just send us an email at info at democracyonthemove.org or contact us on our webpage at democracyonthemove.org slash contact. Democracy on the Move is all one word. Theme music, Murky Waters, performed by El Rey Music, used under license from Shutterstock. I'm Dan Schaefer, your host for today's podcast, and I'd like to thank you for tuning in. It's been my pleasure to be with you today. Please have a safe week ahead. We hope you'll tune in again next week. <laughs>